following is a podcast brought to you by East Cocalico Church at Four Bunker Hill Road in Stevens, Pennsylvania, affiliated with the Church of the Brethren, dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus peaceably, simply, together. The love of Jesus filling every heart. Welcome to the Walk in Jesus podcast, where we discuss practical, actionable steps for walking with Jesus in a Christian life without confusion, hassle, or stress. I'm your host, Brett Swales, so let's get moving. Today's message is called, Where Are You? It comes from Genesis 3.9 in the New International Version. It reads, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? What we call exegesis demands more than just a brief look at any given passage of Scripture. In the passage that I just read, some would explain that God was merely searching to find Adam. But you need some context to interpret your Scripture passages for your understanding. So go back within the chapter of your passage, whatever that may be. So, for instance, the passage chosen for my message this morning, Genesis 3.9, reads, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Read how the passage fits in with the chapter. We are going to go back to the beginning of the chapter right now to get some of that context. And I'm reading out of Genesis 3, verses 1 through 12. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The temptation was Satan's powerful all-encompassing, and ultimately successful attempt to destroy the perfection of humanity. 
After all, the first man and woman were the crown of creation. The fruit itself appealed to all five human senses. This was a full-on assault on all the senses that Satan could employ. The author of Genesis here lists the steps leading to the entrance of sin into the hearts of these divinely created individuals who had started life with such clean hearts and so much promise. Disobedience and sin clouded the picture. Though these beings were morally upright, they had been given the power of choice, and they were subject to the power of the tempter at any moment. Hence, the test was inevitable. Now, some theologians ask if that is fair. Now, it's a valid question. The garden was an exquisite creation, filled with provisions all throughout. Man's environment left nothing to be desired. One prevention, however, had been placed upon the man and the woman. Every tree, shrub, and delicacy could be theirs, except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This prohibition seems to have produced the atmosphere in which human minds practically welcomed the appeal and the temptation of the tempter, both long, long ago and up until the very present day and moment. When talking about the serpent, the narrative presents the seducer as one of the animals, which was much more subtle than the others. The Hebrew word contains the idea of exceptional cleverness. The rabbinic legend has it that the serpent walked erect, He had the power of speech and talked freely with his victim. He was uncontrollably sneaky and cunning. Later, our exegesis will identify the serpent with Satan or the devil. In the light of later scriptural truths, we are justified in concluding that the serpent was a specially chosen instrument of Satan for this test. In Revelation 12.9, the tempter is called the great dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. I'm going to read that to you right now. Revelation 12.9, New International Version. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Paul declared that Satan fashions himself into an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11.14. Satan chose the craftiest, the most subtle, the most cautious of the animals and took full control of him for his disastrous work. Jesus said of Satan, he is a liar and the father of liars. The method of deceit the serpent employed with Eve was to distort the meaning of God's command and then hold it up to ridicule in its new form. The tempter acted surprised that God should be guilty of issuing the command that she said he did. 
Then he sought to break down the woman's faith by sowing in her mind doubts, suspicions, and false pictures of the Almighty and his motives. It was a deliberate attempt to reflect on God. It has been written, When faith fails, the very foundation of morality collapses. It is only a small step from unbelief to sin and disgrace. I must add that to negotiate with the tempter is always highly dangerous. Listeners, be warned. Any negotiations with Satan are considered highly dangerous. Unconsciously, the woman was revealing a willingness to come to terms with Satan. She did not have the advantage of Jesus' words in Matthew 4.10 and James' admonition in James 4.7. She was an innocent. She was unsuspecting. And she was no match for this wily antagonist. She was unwilling to stand by and see God misrepresented. And so she courageously attempted to correct the serpent's statement. But she misquoted the word of God. She added the word, or the phrase, touch the fruit, which God never said. Now that Eve had entered into the conversation, the seducer advanced his more powerful argument. He quickly suggested, the master chess player that he was, that man's great desire to be on a par with and truly like God had been deliberately thwarted by God's command. He charged the Creator with selfishness and with a malicious falsehood, represented him as envious and unwilling for his creatures to have something that wouldn't make them like the omniscient one himself. The strong words tell this story vividly and clearly. Something happened in the thinking of the woman. Gradually, the fruit took on new significance. After all, it was attractive to the eye, desirable to the taste, and powerful to give new wisdom. She took a new step into the field of self-deception. She not only wanted food that was delicious and attractive, but she was desirous of power. She believed this fruit would satisfy all her desires. The next step was automatic, immediate, and tragic. She took and ate. The tempter was not needed after that moment, and there's no more mention of him. Eve took up his work and presented the well-recommended fruit to her husband, and he did eat. Their eyes were opened, and they knew. The Hebrew word paka pictures a sudden miracle. The promise of the tempter was fulfilled quickly. Instantly, perception was given. They saw, and they knew. But what they saw was far different from the rosy picture painted by the serpent. Conscience was rudely awakened. They saw their nakedness. They were naked spiritually as well as physically. And then shame and fear were born. 
When Adam and Eve realized that they were out of touch with God, a terrible loneliness overwhelmed them. Remorse and its inevitable misery followed. Their loss of faith had subjected them to all these woes. They hastily made aprons to provide some measure of concealment as they sought a remedy for their bewilderment, their loneliness, their guilt. Scripture speaks of the voice of the Lord God in the cool of the day. You know, they may hide from God, but they could not escape him. The loving creator could not overlook their disobedience and could not leave the quivering sinners in their heartbreaking need. They were, after all, his own. His holiness must come with love to seek, find, and to judge them. Ordinarily, the approach of God's footsteps brought them joy. Now, terror and dread paralyzed them, though the Lord did not approach in thunder, nor did he call harshly. It is easy to imagine the sweetness of the divine voice as it sounded forth through the trees and the stillness of the evening, calling, Where are you? God knew, of course, where the man and woman were, but he was appealing to them. God was seeking through tenderness and love to win a favorable response, and he was seeking to lead these transgressors gently to a full conviction of their sin. Though justice was dictating his procedure, his mercy was leading it. The judge would render the decision and pronounce the sentence. But this message, this day, is about God's question. When God asked, where are you? You might wonder, what was God really asking? He was not seeking the location of Adam and Eve. He knew where they were, and he knew what they did. God asks the question, where are you, to each of us today? He is asking us for the present condition of our souls. I'm going to stop. A question here begs an answer. How would you respond to God Almighty asking right now, where are you? How would you answer your Creator if you were to die this instant? He asks, what is the present condition of your soul? We would all probably have to answer him. We're in trouble now. Adam and Eve were blindly bungling along. They knew something was really wrong. Their minds were flooded with the newly acquired imagery of the knowledge of good and evil. They were troubled and anxious as they heard God approach. Truly it is written that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and their eyes had just been opened wide to the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know what to expect, so they hid. The loving Creator could not overlook their disobedience and could not leave them distressed. So where are you, listeners? What is the state of your soul? Are you ready, if necessary, to die at this moment? And the listeners answered, 
I challenge you all to get ready to answer when God asks you, where are you? The proceeding was a podcast brought to you by East Cocalico Church at 4 Bunker Hill Road in Stevens, Pennsylvania. Affiliated with the Church of the Brethren, dedicated to continuing the work of Jesus, peaceably, simply, and together. The love of Jesus filling every heart. Sunday school at 9.30 a.m. Worship at 10 a.m. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.